This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, and we uh, looked at the first two parables of Luke 15 last Sunday the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the lost coin. And today, we're going to look at a parable about a lost son. Actually, lost sons, as we're going to talk about as we we go on. This is obviously a familiar text to us, and one of the dangers when we come to a very familiar passage of Scripture is that we can think we already know it. But what we need to understand is that God's Word is a gift that keeps on giving. God's Word is like a gold mine where you continue to dig and you continue to get gold. And I I think that as we walk through this parable today, maybe you're going to see some things that you've never seen before. Luke chapter 15 and verses 11 and following, two lost sons, one loving father. Let's pick it up at Luke 15 and verse 11. And he said... There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. No longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. And have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But it was fitting to celebrate, to be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. One of the most memorable days that I've ever spent with my son was the day that we, we went to the Masters Golf Tournament. And uh, 
Augusta National is not just uh, not only one of the most beautiful golf courses in the world, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. Um, and so when you when you walk in, it's almost like you're entering into this Garden of Eden, you know, type of this alternate universe uh, with all the beauty, uh, no cell phones, they don't allow them on the property, um, everybody is super friendly and courteous, all the volunteers are trained to treat the spectators with, with, with courtesy and friendliness, um, in fact, they don't refer to you as a spectator at all at the Masters, you're a patron um, at the Masters, so um, all of that, no trash anywhere, I mean, no trash to be, to be seen, despite the fact that there are tens of thousands of people walking around eating and drinking there is not a scrap of, of paper on the, the ground. And that's because they have like this army of young people uh, walking around and they, they have uh, poles with sort of a spike on the end of the pole. And so if so much as a gum wrapper falls on the ground, there's a young person there instantly just to kind of stab it and, uh, and immediately dispose of it. And they, they do an amazing job of that. But think, if you will, about the task of being a trash collector at the master's. So it's a beautiful spring day, and sunshine is just streaming through the, the, the loblolly and longleaf pine trees, and the azaleas are in full bloom, and the dogwoods are in full bloom. Yes, spring is coming at some point. It's going to happen around here. You've got all this beauty going on uh, around you, and exciting golf is being played. But your job is to walk around all day with your, with your, with your eye fixed on the ground looking for trash. That's kind of like the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Because beautiful things were happening all around them. The lost were being found. Broken lives were being healed, mended. But yet the religious leaders, the Pharisees and scribes, were so focused on their man-made system of rules and regulations that they missed the beautiful thing that was happening all around them. And really, Jesus tells the three parables in Luke 15 in response to the, the grumbling of these religious leaders. So if you look back at the beginning of the chapter in verses 1 and 2, you see there the reason that brings forth these three parables. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus tells these three parables. Parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, and parable of the lost son in response to this grumbling from the religious leaders. Now, actually this third parable um, is not just a parable about a lost son. There are two lost sons, and there is one loving Father, let's, let's walk through and, and see what we see here. First of all, we see the lostness of the younger brother. Verses 11 and 12, and he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me, and he divided his property between them. Now, this sounds bad, even to us, for a son to ask for something like this. Um, but in the first century, in Middle Eastern culture, it was way worse than that. Because by going to his father and asking for his share of the estate while his father was still living, the younger brother is basically saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. And, 
you know, in an honor-shame culture like the first century Middle East for a son to make such a request of his father, I mean, typically he would be sent away with a beating and nothing else. But to the shock of everybody who heard this parable originally in that culture, to their utter shock and amazement, this gracious father gives the younger son exactly what he asks for. And the younger son's life promptly becomes a wreck, just a complete train wreck. He, 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 he leaves home, he, he blows all the money, and, and this good Jewish boy from a good family ends up in a pig pen. He's longing to eat the bean pods that were fed to the pigs. I mean, what you're seeing here is just total life disintegration, okay? The lostness of the younger brother. Second, we see the repentance of the younger brother. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. Now, the key phrase here is he came to himself, okay? Um, the eyes of his heart are opened, and he can just see. He can see truth. You know, he can see reality. He can see, he can see exactly, you know, where he is. Um, he just comes to himself. He comes to his senses. Have you ever had anybody in your life that you love, you cared about, and you could just see them ruining their life? And, you know, you've, you've, said, you've said everything that you can say to them. You can't say anything else. Um, and, and at that point, you, you need to just lift them up in prayer that God will open the eyes of their heart. Pray that God will bring them to the end of themselves, really. Um, that's what has to happen. That's what happens here. The first time I ever heard John Piper preach was at Southeastern Seminary in about the year 2000. And he was talking about his family that day. And he, uh, he, he made the statement. He said, he said, I have three sons. And I spend most of my time praying for one of them. And when he said that, his voice just broke. And, I, and everybody in that chapel that day thought, you know, could just see, you know, hey, this, this dad has got a son who's breaking his heart. It's obvious. Four years later, I heard John Piper preach again at the Cove in North Carolina. And he told about what had happened with his son in, in the intervening years. His son had, uh, had left home, and uh, he, was, he, was, uh, he was part of a punk band, and they were, they were living, he was living out of a van. It's like the skit on Saturday Night Live, you know, living in a van down by the river. I mean, that's what his life had, had become, really. Uh, he's on the road with this band and everything. Just, uh, and, um, and one day, his band was in Panama City, Florida, doing a gig down there, and uh, he had a Bible with him, and for some reason, it, his heart was prompted to open the Bible for the first time in years, and he started reading Romans. And by the time he got two-thirds of the way through the book of Romans, it was done. Done. God just, you know, the Holy Spirit, uh, just the scales fell from his eyes. He went to a library, logged onto a computer, and emailed his dad back in Minneapolis. And, and, the, and the email opened with the words, Dear Daddy, I am saved. You know, this is what happens here. I mean, he just he comes to himself Right? The eyes of his heart are just open to see. So he turns, heads for home, no excuses whatsoever, none. He doesn't think his father owes him a thing. In fact, he's just hoping that his father is going to be merciful enough to bring him in as one of his hired men. The repentance of the younger brother. Third, the prodigal 
father. Now, when we hear the word prodigal in our culture, because of the influence, the fame of this parable, we think of the word prodigal as meaning wayward, right? Um, that's not what the word actually means. The word prodigal means recklessly extravagant. And the younger brother was recklessly extravagant with money, but this father is recklessly extravagant with love. He's recklessly spendthrift with love. Look at um, what happens in verse 20. He arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now notice here, his emotions are not mixed. I mean, whatever, whatever grief, whatever anger this younger son had caused to him, that's gone. He just looks down the road and he sees his boy and his, his, his heart is just filled with compassion. So much compassion that he does what Middle Eastern patriarchs never did. He runs. Men didn't run in this culture, right? They, did, they, they would never do that. But he hitches up his, his robe and runs out to his son, embraces him. Literally, it says he fell on his neck and he's kissing him. And when the younger son launches into his pre-prepared speech, what happens? The father cuts him off. Cuts him off in mid-sentence. Verse 22, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now listen, what, what happens here? that this father describes, really describes what God has done for every Christian, right? He says, bring the best robe. What was that? It was the father's robe. It was the father's own robe. What has God done for us through Christ? You know, Christ, Christ allowed himself to be stripped of his robe and nailed to a cross without a robe so that we can be clothed in the robes of God's righteousness. He says to, to put, a, put, the, put a ring on him, and that was the signet ring that he's talking about. That was the ring that symbolized that you were a, a member of the family. What has God done for us in Christ? He's adopted us as his own sons and daughters so that we can cry, Abba, Father. Right? We're, we're full members of the family with all the rights and privileges of sons and and daughters, he says, put shoes on his feet. See, servants, slaves, went barefooted, but not sons. The younger son's idea that, well, maybe he'll take me back as a servant. Forget about it. He's taking him back as a son. All the privileges of a son. And see, this is why salvation um, is so much more than just being forgiven. Yes, it is that we're forgiven of our sins, but but it's, but it's more than that. It's a new status. We're not only forgiven, but we are adopted as sons and daughters. We're, 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 giving, we're given the, the, the status of God's perfect, his perfect record of righteousness is, is credited to us. And so that we're, we're standing in grace. And this is what it means to be a Christian. We see a, a prodigal father here. Now into this scene of happiness and joy and grace, celebration, now comes ugliness, ugliness, 
suddenly enters the picture, the lostness of the older brother. See, you can be lost without ever leaving home. You can be in the house, but far from the Father. You can be in church all your life and be lost. You can be very religious and be lost. That's what the older brother symbolizes. He symbolizes um, these religious leaders of Jesus' day uh, who were, they were religious but lost, clueless. People can be like that today as well. Verses 25 through 30. Now this older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. I want to look at some signs of older brother lostness, okay? Um, and as we go through these, if, if, if you're, even if you're not lost, okay, any of us, any of us who, are, who are Christians need to be very, very aware of these things. Because even if we're not lost, if we're not careful, older brotherishness in our attitudes can creep into our lives. So we need to be very careful and prayerful about all of these, these signs. Okay, so the first sign of older brother lostness, anger and bitterness. Anger and bitterness. So verse 28, the father throws a party. The older son is what? He's angry and refused to go in. He thinks, hey, look, I have done, tried to do everything right you know, I've done what you said, I, I've, tried to do, I've tried to do things right, um, and now this, this? See, older brother types think that God owes them. Um, the older brother mindset is that God owes you, and so when you see God blessing somebody else, like the older son sees the father blessing his, his, his younger brother, when you see God blessing somebody else, if you have an older brother mindset, you think, that should be me. That should be me. Because look at all the good things that I've done. Look at what I've done. Look at how faithful I've been. Okay, who have you done them for? You know, there's an old story about a gardener who grows a beautiful carrot. And he brings the carrot before the king. He loves the king, and he just wants to honor the king in some way. And so this humble gardener grows this carrot, and he brings it before the king. And he says, my lord... This is the most beautiful carrot that I've ever grown. And just as a token of my love and respect for you, I wanted to offer it to you. And the king is so touched by this that he gives the gardener a plot of land right beside his land. Well, there was a nobleman who was in the court that day, and he overheard this. And he thought to himself, you know, is, if this is what you get for bringing the king a carrot, you know, what could you get if you brought him a horse? And so the next day he brings in a beautiful black stallion and presents it to the king. But the king discerns the nobleman's heart. And he just receives it, but then he immediately dismisses him. And he can see that the, he can see the nobleman is, is, is perplexed. And the king said, allow me to explain. He said, the gardener was giving 
me the carrot, you were giving yourself the horse. See, if you have an older brother mindset, God is a means to an end. And when the ends aren't turning out just the way that you want them to turn out, there's anger. There's bitterness. Um, The second sign of older brother lostness is joyless, mechanical obedience. Joyless, mechanical obedience. Verse 29, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've I've served you, never disobeyed your command. Um, (laughs) This is unbelievably disrespectful. I mean, sons would never think of speaking to their fathers in that culture without addressing them as sir. But basically, he just says to his father here, look you. And then he says, these many years I've served you in Greek, it serves as doulos. That's a word for slave. Okay, I've slaved for you. See, older brother types, they don't serve the Lord with gladness. They don't serve the Lord with gladness. They don't don't serve him with delight. I mean, they may check off the blocks, and they may serve God, but it's grind. You know, it's, it's not, and that's because it's not springing from an intimate relationship with God. It's not flowing from a love relationship with God. Um, now, a couple of things here that we, 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 need, to, we need to be aware of. Um, parents, a word for you. Okay, if you still have children in the home, what we should really focus on is, is helping them to fall in love with the gospel. Helping them to, to cultivate a relationship with God so that they love Jesus. Because if they don't have a, a genuine love for Christ, what happens when they get out from under our wing? You know, it, there was no relationship there to begin with. It was kind of all, you know, rules and that type of thing. And they, they viewed Christianity maybe as just a set of, of rules. Well, what happens when they get out, when they get freedom? They go nuts. Right? So what we want to do is help them to love Christ. Because what happens? When you love Jesus, behavior takes care of itself. And it will sustain them when they're no longer under your wing. Okay? If they love Jesus, um, then you know, they love him. <laughs> and, and things in their life flow from that. So focus on helping them to, to love to love Christ. I understand. You know, rules have a place, for sure. Um, but the, what we really want is kids who, who love Jesus. Something else about this. You ever wonder why sometimes people who you, you view as ideal Christians just kind of go off the deep end? And they just, they, just, they, they, can, they just plunge into a sinful lifestyle? What's that about? You say, how could that happen? I mean, I always viewed him or her as that they were like, if, if, I thought if anybody had it together, they had it together. And, and then they just, they go off the deep end. They plunge into this life of sin. I mean, what, what's up with that? They seem to have everything together. Well, yeah, they seem to have everything together on the outside. But I can promise you, inside, there was a lack of intimacy with God. And whenever there's a lack of intimacy with God, then we seek to fill the hole in our lives through other means and through sin, right? 
so with, with older brother types, there's not, there's, not, there's not a relationship of intimacy with God. Now, one of the ways that this shows up is in your prayer life. Let me ask you something. In your prayer life, how much of your prayer life is, is petition, where you're asking God for things, which we should do, and how much of your prayer life is praise and adoration? See, praise and adoration spring from what? From love. Tim Keller in his book, Prodigal God, talks about three relationships, okay? You can have a relationship, let's say, with a business associate that you don't particularly like. So what are your conversations with this person center around? Usually tasks, okay, here's what we need to get done. No chit-chat, right? Um, and then you can have a friend, and this is somebody that you can maybe open up to and you can confide in and so forth. But then what about a relationship where you're in love with somebody and they're in love with you? When you're in love with somebody and they're in love with you, what's sort of a natural thing to do? Uh, praise. You know, you, you talk about hey, you're, you're beautiful. This is, what, this is why I think you're beautiful. So, you know, when, when, we, when we love God, adoration and praise is kind of a natural part of our, of our prayer life. Not so with older brother types because that, that love relationship really is not there. So it's joyless, mechanical obedience. Um, third, a sense of moral superiority. Uh, look at verse 30. He says to his father, older son says, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened capper. He won't even refer to him as his brother. Right? This son of yours. I mean, you can just feel the sense of moral superiority that he has. I'm so indebted to Tim Keller in his book, Prodigal God, for this insight. But do you know why it's so hard for us to forgive people sometimes? Somebody sinned against us, and we bear a grudge. We continue to harbor it. Uh, we, 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 it just, it's just, we, we can't get past it. We refuse to forgive them. You know why at root we, have, we find it hard to forgive? Because we think we're morally superior. We think deep down, we think what you did to me, I could never do to you. Really? Really? Let me tell you, these sinful hearts are capable of all kinds of things. When we start thinking like that, you know, that we're, that we're beyond certain things, we could never do that, it's a dangerous place to be. Um, we, should, we need to understand the sinfulness of our own hearts, and we'll be better able to forgive other people. Fourth sign of older brother lostness is a lack of assurance of the father's love. Uh, look at verse 31. The father says to him, son... You're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. In other words, what the father is saying to his, his older son, look, the fact that I'm throwing this party for your brother doesn't mean I love you any less. Jesus here is still reaching out to the religious leaders, even though they're plotting to kill him by this point. Jesus is still reaching out to the scribes and the Pharisees and, and, and basically saying, hey, come on in. Come on in. Come, join the party. Amazing grace. Um, but they don't get it. They don't get it. The religious leaders don't get it. Older brother types uh, do not get it. They, 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 even though the father is reaching out to him in love, he still has this lack of assurance 
of the Father's love. What are some signs when we have a lack of assurance of the Father's love? We tend to compare ourselves to other people. That's what he's doing here, right? He's comparing what's happening. What's happening with the younger brother? Why isn't it happening to me? You know, um, comparisons. We yearn for the approval of others. Criticism is devastating. Now, nobody likes criticism. But does criticism just absolutely just devastate you? See, all of those things are warning signs. They're warning signs that, that we, we lack the assurance of the Father's love. Because listen, when, when we know who we are in Christ, you know, when we know that, that God has taken us in, that we are, when you know that you're a beloved son or daughter of the king of this universe, listen, that frees you from comparing yourself to other people and yearning for approval and strokes from other people, you know, and, uh, and, and, and criticism doesn't wipe you out so much. Why? Because you're secure in God's love, right? You have just this assurance in God's love that just trumps everything else. Here's something else about older brother types. They just don't understand grace. And, that, and you know why? Because they've never tasted it. They've never tasted it. The reason why these scribes and Pharisees cannot celebrate what's going on in the lives of these tax collectors and sinners as, as, their, as their lives, these broken lives are, are healed, the reason that why they can't join the party is because they've, deep down, they've never experienced grace themselves. It's foreign to them. They don't get it. You know, Jonathan Edwards said there's all the difference in the world between under, having an intellectual understanding that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness. I, I, can, I can stand here and try to describe the taste of honey to you all day long, but you're really not going to get it until you taste honey. And it's that way with grace. You, you, don't, you don't really get it. Until you experience it, until you know what it is like to be lost and to be found, you're not going to get it. And, and that's what's happening here. They, they just don't understand grace. Something else we see here, coming home. Coming home. Um, there's an aspect of this parable that we often miss. Yes, it's a great parable about, about just the, the redemption of the individual, but there's a larger storyline that's going on. Remember, Jesus is, is a Jew who is steeped in the Old Testament. And so as he's always, as Jesus is preaching, these, these, deep, these deep themes from the Old Testament are flowing through his mind and heart. So when you think about the whole storyline of the Old Testament, really it's about coming home right? It begins where? In a garden. Perfect place. Perfect communion with God. Everything is right. I mean, they, they really are home. But what happens? Sin enters the picture, and human beings, we're, we're exiled from, from home. East of Eden, right? Exiled. Uh, later on, what happens? Um, God's people are in Egypt. Slavery. What happens? God delivers them. The exodus takes place so that they can enter the promised land. But then they're exiled to 
Babylon, and now they've come back to the land by the time of Jesus, sort of. Most of them have come back. Um, but, but now the, their land, the promised land, is under Roman occupation. So they're still not really home. There's still like this sense of exile. You get the feeling throughout the Old Testament that Israel is always traveling, never quite arriving. That's what that song by U2, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That's what that song is really about. We have this sense as human beings that even on this earth, even when things are going relatively good, that, that there's still something missing, right? We're still not completely home. You know why we feel that way? Because we're not completely home. We're not. That's why the Bible says that we're like pilgrims. We're like sojourners. We're like we're like strangers. We're like exiles on this earth because, because the earth in this current state is not really our home. You and I were meant to live in that garden that God created originally, okay, but that was messed up by sin. What's happening now? Because of Christ's death for sins and his resurrection from the dead, God is making a new creation. Right? New creation. The first creation was marred by sin. God now is making a new creation. You know how he's doing that? He's doing that by making people new. By taking broken people and making them new through the gospel. Okay? So that work of new creation is beginning. We take part in that as we join with God um, in helping the lost be found. Okay? We're, 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 we're a part of, of building that new creation that is eventually going to be consummated when Christ returns. Okay? And sin and death are forever banished. And this whole world is renewed in the future. But that work begins in and through our lives in the present. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being able to be a part of the great thing that you're doing in this world in, in new creation through the gospel. We, we thank you for the grace that we have received we pray that you would deliver us from any uh, older brother types of, of attitudes um, in our lives. Help us to celebrate when the lost are found. Help us to do, to, to do more than that, to join with you as we saw last week in searching for those that need to be found. And I pray for anyone in the hearing of my voice right now that needs to be found. Lord, would you open the eyes of their heart to see Jesus and to trust him. We pray it in his name. Amen. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about knowing him, we would love to pray with you about that. Um, we're going to be here at the front during invitation time. We'll be here um, after the service as well. Uh, if God's speaking to you about uh, saying, I, I want to be a part of this church family, uh, we would love to welcome you. If there's a need in your life uh, for prayer, we'd love to be able to, uh, to pray with you. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? 
If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father. You are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.